Hey everyone, it's Gordon here, and I just want to let you know that it is possible to get a job in public health or global health as a recent graduate with little experience. It is also possible to get a job after moving from a different country or switching careers. Despite these possibilities, the reality is that you might have submitted countless number of job applications and may not have even received a single job interview, much less any job offers. But how can this happen? We feel your pain and we're here to help because in this Q&A, we shared your main concerns with a talent consultant and career coach who provided some insider information on what employers are actually looking for in your job interviews, cover letters, and resumes to get you one step closer to landing a job. This is the Public Health Insight Podcast. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with. You're listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for all things public health and global health, from the sustainable development goals to the social determinants of health, as well as interesting dialogues about the diverse career opportunities that exist in these fields. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so other people like you can benefit from our content. My name is Gordon. I'll be your host along with my sometimes best friend, LaShawn, and our special guest, Coach Neha. I'll give you a chance, Neha, to introduce yourself. Talk a little sure. bit more about what you've been up to and in you know, talent consulting yeah. and career coaching. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast, Gordon. So I'm Neha Koram. I'm the program director for On Deck Recruiting, which is a fellowship for recruiting leaders. And a little bit about my background and why I'm a great person to talk about job seeking in general. I love this topic, so I appreciate you inviting me on here again, is I actually got a background in coaching. So I started a career coaching and recruiting agency, Beam. And through that work, I have helped many individuals land new opportunities or navigate their current workplace to land promotions. I'm really passionate about helping people gain career satisfaction, really understanding what their guiding principles are and mapping out next steps on how do we get from point A to point B in a very tricky landscape when it comes to hiring, recruiting, and understanding the employer perspective. So a little bit more about what actually gives me the credibility to speak about this is I spent a couple of years as an internal recruiter at B2B Bank, as well as Bank of Montreal. And I also was part of Hired.com as a program manager, helping them scale to over a thousand placements a quarter. And then I have also led a coaching circle for South Asian working women. So really excited to dive into some of the questions and topics that you might have here and feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn if other questions pop up. Oh, thank you so much. In terms of connecting on LinkedIn, Mm-hmm. Is there a way that you would connect with people on LinkedIn? Is there, Do you send a personalized message? Do you just hit the connect button? What's the best way to do that? That's a great question. So I have Sales Navigator as I'm oftentimes trying to reach out to clients for my business. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I highly recommend anyone simply use the connect button. You have 300 characters. You can add a quick note. And short and sweet is always nice, but make it personal. Mm-hmm. 
right. So there you go. So as we move through this session, keep in mind that the tips we'll be sharing uh, throughout will be based on our lessons learned in the Canadian context, but they can absolutely be applied to other contexts as well. So we're going to start off by talking about resumes because we had a lot of questions about resumes, but we'll get this section of the session started off in a little bit of a rapid fire, which I'm going to hand over to LaShawn. All right, perfect. So are you ready for a little insight blitz? Let's do it. So Neha, name one thing that is an automatic no on a resume. Automatic no? There's nothing that's an automatic no. If someone's saying automatic no, they're not doing their job as a recruiter. Hmm. What about Hmm. weird formatting or... Yeah, sure. I guess if there's like lots of errors, Mm. let's let's stick with that. I'm putting more faith in the people and saying they're more Mm. competent. But, you know, lots of errors, that's a big no. So you're saying basically it's more the accumulation of errors rather than like a single error that would. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay, perfect. What comes to mind when you think of resumes that you've seen stand out? Consistent, easy to read. I know exactly what role they would be a good fit for based on the past two to three roles they've had in the past. Wonderful. Do we need to have a creative, graphically designed resume to stand out in this job market? Absolutely not. Is it necessary to tailor your resume and cover letter based on each job? Spend at least 10 to 15 minutes. If you're spending more than 20 minutes, you're probably, you haven't picked a career direction, so you need to go back to that. Okay, perfect. Do different countries have different preferences for resume formats? Yes, but there are some global guidelines everyone should follow. Wonderful. Is a CV and a resume, is it interchangeable when it comes to job applications or are they different? I think that's where different countries come into play. I think if we're talking about North America in general, we use the terms interchangeably. All right, wonderful. Gordon, I'll pass it off to you now. All right, let's dig a little bit deeper on some of those uh, answers that we got from our audience. So the first one I would like to ask you is, who is typically the first person in an organization to review a resume? If we're talking about person, it's the recruiter. But before that, we always hear about the bots or applicant tracking system. And depending on whether it's an old school you know, ATS or applicant tracking system, it might be the first to scrape your resume and prioritize it in a list for the recruiter who's the first human that looks at it. Mm. Should people be worried about this uh, black box ATS? A lot of people are very concerned about getting through the ATS. Mm -hmm. Not so much, to be honest. Um, I think so long as you formatted your resume correctly and you're following instructions on the job description, uh, that's fine. But there are so many other steps outside of simply applying in terms of outreach and adopting a sales mindset that actually help you network and connect with the right people that your resume isn't always going to land you that interview. Mm, Okay. All right. So you get through this black box ATS and your resume is being screened by a recruiter. 
what are they looking for in that initial screening? Yeah, it depends on the role that you applied for. They're very much looking to scan for relevant skills as well as years of experience and any qualifications or certifications that are usually listed on the job description. Sometimes there's some hidden criteria in the intake meeting that a recruiter has with a hiring manager that is not always on the job description, which makes things tricky. But that's why having a friend on the inside, someone that you've networked with, can fill you in on those gaps and help you really add those pieces to your resume that really stand out for the recruiter and get that conversation going. Can you share a little bit more about an example of what a hidden uh, criteria would Mm -hmm. be? Yeah, I think sometimes this could be around soft skills. Sometimes I don't always see a full list of soft skills on a resume or even on the job description, right? If you're going to be looking at the job description as your source of what should I add onto my resume, Uh, I think also with soft skills, sometimes we kind of take it for granted, right, that we have either some sort of leadership, that we've played a role as a leader, even if not as a title. I think just highlighting those types of projects could be good in your resume if you ever took the lead on something. To think a little bit deeper around hidden criteria, it's going to look different for every company, which is why I go back to saying get to know the company, get to know the company culture and the values and try to piece things together from multiple sources of information and not just the job description. Awesome. One question a lot of people have, and this could even help me as I look to advance my career, what should a resume look like in terms of the layout? Is there a general blueprint for what a resume should look like? I think the most common one that we look at is the chronological order, right? Or, or the reverse order, rather, where the most recent experience is at the top and you're working your way backwards, so reverse chronological order. And typically, I would say your education should be at the bottom. We always want to look at your work experience. That matters so much more, particularly in an era when we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, driving access to people who have not had the privilege to go to college, right? Thinking about those people in particular, I think we're finding less and less education matters, of course, but it's not its not the reason why you got the job. A big portion of why you get the job is how closely aligned was the last role to what you're applying for. So in terms of that format, I think just making sure that your education is the bottom, unless you're a recent graduate, but even still, there's probably some opportunities while you were in school or projects that you can list as work experience at at the top. Some hiring managers will say they don't like seeing a summary. Some of them will say they do like seeing a summary. So I think at the end of the day, you have to be really intentional. If you're putting a summary there because you think it's for someone else, then maybe you don't add one. But if you're doing it because you really have something to summarize and highlight, then add it. And it's not going to go against you in any way. And again, making sure that you have dates 
clearly listed. So I like to see them flush right, just making sure that the dates are easy to scan so we can tally up years of experience. But also it helps us as recruiters cross-reference with your LinkedIn or your public pages where you list some of your experience and make sure that there's no discrepancies because we're looking for candidates that, of course, have integrity. And if there's any gaps, we're also then mindful to ask about the gaps and Sometimes I've seen on resumes, if you, let's say you took a sabbatical, you can add that to the resume. I will say that sometimes you can opt to leave a gap off of your resume and just add some context to your cover letter, particularly if you're in finance or maybe even in healthcare where, you know, they want more standard resumes and a cleaner view of your work experience and that additional context like gaps or anything else might live on a cover letter. What is the ideal length of a resume? Yeah, I think if you can get to one page, that's awesome. But at the same time, I think sometimes you need two pages. Sometimes to be courteous to your reader and not have tiny print, you want to have at least 10 point, right? At least 10 point so that it's easy to read, but also that you're giving enough in terms of context about your job, the tools you've used, the different certifications, different projects, you're volunteering, all of these things matter. And I'd rather see a two-page resume that gives me a complete picture than a one-page resume that I don't have enough information to be excited about the candidate. Mm -hmm. Does it matter what type of experience should come first on the resume, whether it's paid work experience versus volunteering experience? That's a good question. And I would revert back to is it relevant? How relevant is the opportunity? I've definitely hired people based off of their volunteer experience and how heavily involved they were in that and the work they did there versus what their day-to-day job was. And they were looking to pivot more in that direction. So I, I think it's great to consider what aligns closely to the role that I'm applying for and listing it in that way. I will say that you can still call it out in terms of it being a volunteer opportunity either in line, but it might also be a little bit confusing if the heading isn't very clear, like if you have a volunteer position and then a work position following it and you're alternating, that's a bit confusing. So that for that reason, I would say maybe listing it at the bottom, but I think to that point, maybe just highlighting relevant experience at the top. Like if you had a section that said relevant experience and then another section around whether it's volunteer or work. Mm -hmm. And then also just thinking about taking some experience off your resume. Let's say that you did a volunteer gig, but it has nothing to do. It's not adding value. You don't have to list everything. Same with the work experience. You don't have to list everything. Try to keep it as relevant as possible. Mm -hmm. And I guess in line with that, even adding a potential awards or publication section, that would be on a case-by-case basis if you think there would be value Mm -hmm. added. Is that correct? Absolutely. And maybe what you can start with is just add everything at first. It's always easy to remove and take away than it is to be searching for new ideas. So I think just being honest to what your career story is and everything that you've done, and it's just a good exercise of doing like a brain dump and then you can always comb through it and take things out particularly as you're tailoring and I also wouldn't overthink it especially if you're within the two-page 
general limit. Like if it's more than three pages, you definitely need to take things out. But also a little bit of diversity in what you've done can also make you an interesting candidate. So really use your judgment. Think about, is this adding value? Is this relevant? If it's not that relevant, but I want to talk about it in the interview, keep it on your resume. But if you don't plan to talk about it in your resume or in your interview, then don't add it to your resume. Okay. That's some interesting advice. And you said something about making sure that experiences and education have dates. And it made me think Mm -hmm. of this question around people worried about discrimination on their resume, whether Mm -hmm. it's uh, gender, age, ethnicity. Is there a sort of a best practice for people concerned about that? Really great question. So typically when you're older, if you have a risk of ageism, let's say you're like 50 plus or you have like 20 years of experience, I would say in that case, you can always list your early career experience as a section that says early career prior to 2010, let's say, right? So try to, I would also say, focus on your past five years of experience as sort of what's going to define your career direction. If you did something more than five years ago, it's going to be difficult for employers to see you play that part again. Mm -hmm. But that is an area where maybe you add something to an early career section and you say prior to 2010, I was doing X, Y, Z. And maybe you don't list the specific companies and titles. Maybe you give a more general summary of what you were up to before 2010. And then similarly with your education section, instead of listing your graduation year, you can simply list graduated. And this is particularly for individuals worried about ageism if you're older. But then you mentioned something, Gordon, around, I guess, adding specifics for gender and that kind of stuff. So I think it's a bit difficult to say that you can't, that you should, like, I I wouldn't say don't add your name, but what you might want to do is maybe add your pronouns. If there's other relevant information that you think is going to help signal to the company how you want to be addressed and how they can find you on LinkedIn or any other public profiles, I would say add your LinkedIn URL. And another thing is if a company is going to discriminate against you, you probably don't want to work for that company. So it's a good filter, right? If, if you do add a couple of things, but I know that not everybody has the privilege of attaining the right amount of interview requests to be that picky. So to safeguard yourself, maybe just with the ageism thing in particular, you can tweak that to prior to 2010 mm. and graduated for the education. Okay, wonderful. Should we always be including a cover letter in all of our job applications? Only if it asks. Always follow instructions. Okay. Does someone actually read the cover letters? If they asked for it, absolutely. If they didn't ask for it, probably not. Okay. What's a memorable automatic turnoff you've seen on a cover letter? Too many paragraphs, not enough truncation. So if you're not adding spaces, if it's poorly formatted, and if you're repeating information from your resume. Okay. How many pages should a cover letter be? I think one page is golden, but again, you can look back at the instructions. Sometimes employers have very specific criteria, but I think one page does a great job of sharing additional context that's a bit different or expanding on your resume. Cool. Can we use bullet points in our cover letters or should we just stick to paragraphs? I say stick with paragraphs. Bullet points are nice, but it takes away from the fact that it is a letter and you're you're sharing a bit of narrative. Okay. Should you should your cover letter include all your relevant experience? 
cover letter? Yes. It should not repeat your resume. The point that's the point of your resume. All right, wonderful. I'll hand it back over to Gordon. All right. So that was great and everything, LaShawn, but what's the purpose of this cover letter thing in the first place? Why are employers even asking for it? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the reason why you might be asked for a cover letter is to add additional context. Let's say I mentioned you could either add a sabbatical to your resume to cover for a gap, but it might it's actually better on a cover letter. It's just that if you don't have the opportunity to write a cover letter, you might want to add it to the resume. But it's a good idea to expand on projects that are relevant. You might have list, listed them in the resume, but then it's an opportunity to add more color. And it's also an opportunity to tie in your research on the company. And again, you're building mutual alignment, right? Every every step of the application process from your resume to the cover letter to the interview, you're always thinking about mutual alignment and an employer might be thinking, what's in it for me to hire this candidate? So that's where you're sharing how you both fit together. But I wouldn't use it as an opportunity to tell your life story, repeat your resume, or to overwhelm the reader with too much information. Something else that I see is sometimes there's too many adjectives and like there's no substance. So really just being mindful, it's okay to keep it short and sweet so long as what you're saying actually adds value and it's not necessarily repeating and only expanding mm-hmm. on the resume. So in terms of adding value, what are those specific things in a cover letter that would add value for the reader? Yeah, I think this goes back to the job that you applied for. So you really have to study the job that you've applied to if you're especially if you're going to be writing a cover letter, right? Typically a job application, I would say should not take you more than 20 minutes. You read through the job, you tailor your resume a little bit, not a lot, and you apply and on to the next one. But if if we're talking about the cover letter, I would say sometimes I can take one to two hours to write a really solid cover letter. Unless you have a template and then you're applying for the same kind of role, you have your career direction set up, then again, it shouldn't take you more than 20 minutes to tailor that. And the way you add value is I would look at the job description and actually copy paste it into a Google Doc. And one of the reasons there is sometimes the job description expires, but the job is open. And also it's a good exercise for you to start engaging in the type of role that you want and doing a bit of self-awareness and checking some of the gaps that you might have in the job description now that you have it in this Google Doc. What I would do there is I would highlight everything that you have solid experience with in green. Anything that you're like you have some exposure to, but you're not too solid highlighted orange, anything that's a total gap, highlighted red. And that's a good visual cue of whether or not you should apply to the job in the first place. But then it also gives you some information, particularly around the green, anything that you highlighted green, you can copy paste that onto your cover letter template and start rewriting it and kind of actually give me an example of, okay, you have experience with this. Let's say I led a team of 20 people and reduced reduced the time to accomplish a process by however many hours, like those types of metrics and that type of team size that you might have led. Those are things I'd love to know. They might be on the resume, but tell me more about your process. What did you learn? What's your philosophy within your domain? It's a great opportunity for me to get more curious about you and want to talk to you more and invite you to an interview. Okay. So 
we've kind of have an idea of how we want to present ourselves. And we've got some questions around how do you even start the letter? So first of all, if you don't know the person, the hiring manager, for example, who do you address a cover letter to? Something as simple as that. How do we do we just put to whom yeah. it may concern, dear hiring manager? I would never use to whom it may concern. I would use dear hiring manager. I think that's the safest bet because at the end of the day, the hiring manager is likely going to be your reporting manager. And I think a lot of people aren't really sure what a hiring manager is. I've seen some companies, particularly smaller companies, put out a posting, a job posting to hire a hiring manager. And that's like, that's not a real position. That's like a part of what being a manager is. If you're hiring someone on your team, you are the hiring manager, right? So it's always best to address it to the person you're going to be working under. So dear hiring manager should be probably the safest bet. safest bet now you do that now what give me an example of what a good way would be to start the body of the cover letter what should someone be saying in mm-hmm. that first paragraph yeah i think there should always be a cadence for introduction body conclusion and in the introduction you want to talk about the role that you've applied that you're expressing interest in You want to talk about where you found out about the job. I think it's always best, even if you found it on LinkedIn, it's best to say that as listed on your careers page, but then actually go and make sure it's listed on the careers page. And then talk about why you're interested in it and start your story around what you understand about the company, why it excited you, why you're applying. And then you can dive into the what of your background and that mutual alignment in terms of skills, technology, maybe the network or certain certifications or some research that you've done. What actually is relevant to the role? And again, really sticking to the context of the job. And that's where the highlighting the job description allows for more relevant stories. I think sometimes people go way off course and they're really excited about things they've done in their career that just don't align with the job. And so it overwhelms the reader, but also confuses the reader because it becomes harder for me to picture you in a job if you're sharing lots of examples that don't have anything to do with the job. And the conclusion, ask for the interview, right? So that's your opportunity to say, I'd love to, or maybe not using the word love. I think we've gotten into this habit of talking like this informally, but I think just saying something along the lines of, I would like to request an interview with you in the upcoming days to discuss a potential fit, right? As simple as that. And then it gets them thinking about, do I want to invite this person or not? So even though it's kind of obvious why you're writing the cover letter, you should always have that call to action mm-hmm. at the end. Exactly. All right. Yeah. And in t- so last question about sort of the body. Is there a limit to the number of examples that someone should give? So do you focus in on maybe two or three central things? Or mm-hmm. do you, if, if I'm just thinking of the people that might have several relevant experiences and might want to talk about everything, do they like, how do they craft a narrative mm-hmm. around without being all over the place? And I see this is where some people will start to list the bullet points, but at that point, you're literally copying and pasting what's on your resume already. Or then I would just say, if you're adding bullet points, like that should just live on your resume. The cover letter is an opportunity to expand on context or add additional context, right? I think two to three examples is perfect. I think anything more than that, you can add that to the, you you can share those examples in the interview, but if it's super, super relevant and you want to 
share it. I think what you can do is allude to it or start to share it, but maybe it's something that you kind of address as I, I would like to share more about X, Y, Z project, like three different projects. Should we get a chance to meet in person or take this conversation further? Right. So it's okay to kind of shepherd the conversation towards, I want to share more about these other areas. Should we get to that step? Okay, wonderful. So what is the best way to familiarize yourself with the virtual platform that you will be used to have an interview, a remote interview? Right, right. I think what you could do is just set up an account with, let's say it's Zoom, or if it's Microsoft Teams or Google Hangouts or some other platform, it might be a good idea to just do a dry run. If you set up an account and just practice with a friend or with yourself, right, you can just log on and start a meeting on your own just to get familiar with where the mute button is, the camera button is, and how to set up your mic or your headphones if you're going to be using additional equipment. What does your background look like? Do you want to add, like with Zoom, you can add different backgrounds and it will remember that. And the next time you log on, it'll be there. What time is your interview? If it's a remote job and it happens to be nighttime where you are, is your lighting sufficient for nighttime video interviews? Doing that kind of stuff can help not only reduce stress and anxiety leading up to the day of, it gives you a good idea of where to look for different buttons and things, right? So setting up an account and setting aside some time to play around is a good idea. Okay, wonderful. And what is the appropriate thing to wear for a virtual interview versus like an in-person interview? Yeah, it depends on the company and the company culture. I would Google the company and look at their team events If they're wearing suits and ties, maybe it's a good opportunity for you to maybe consider doing the same on your interview. Treat your treat your interviews like a real on-site interview. But at the same time, I will say that we're seeing a huge cultural shift where before I'm used to tech companies, I pivoted from banking to tech. And in tech companies, like this is what my former employer's t-shirt hired. So this this is what we would wear. But at the same time, it's not appropriate for some other opportunities. Like if it's a bank, especially, and you know that there's going to be hybrid work where you show up on site, you want to look as you would if you were going into the office. So if you, I think a good happy medium for men, for example, would be wearing a dress shirt, right? And making sure that like you're buttoned up and wearing like an undershirt if so you're not too stuffy. But um, and for women, just having a blouse that is is not a t-shirt, unless you're in tech, then that's totally fine. Um, so mirror the culture that you're you're stepping into. Okay, wonderful. Can you share a few common interview questions that candidates should always prepare for? Definitely. So always prepare for tell me about yourself. Be prepared to talk about your strengths, your weaknesses. What do you know about the company and what are your top goals? Mm, I love that. Can you tell me a couple of things to avoid during a job interview? I would say avoid jokes because everyone has their own sense of humor, but it might not land correctly, especially if it's the first time you're meeting someone and they're interviewing you and and they're not sure about you. So as much as there might be a bit of banter and sometimes jokes land well, I would try to steer clear of them. Other things that you probably don't want to do, bad-mouthing your previous employer, 
talking about salary, I think they should, you know, employers should be the one to talk about it unless you're getting towards the end of your initial call and they haven't brought it up. Um, you can maybe ask if, if they would like to discuss the salary range or not, but that's also something that can, you know, it can signal that you're motivated by money more than the actual job. So something to keep in mind. Fair. That makes sense. Uh, what is the most important thing that a candidate should get across during their interview? I think, you know, the main reason that they invited you to the interview is because they're excited about your background. They're excited about your resume. So you want to, again, craft a story around mutual alignment. So definitely do your research and be sure to bring up what you found out in your research and tie it back to how it aligns with your goals and and what you've done before. Uh, The idea is, you know, again, with, with all of these steps is to get the employer excited about you for the next round. And it might actually serve you to learn about what the next steps are. Let's say if it's a take-home assignment, then maybe being able to dig into what that take-home assignment is, what their expectations are, so you're ready for that next immediate round. Wonderful. Is it a good idea to ask for immediate feedback at the end of the interview? I've I've been seeing a lot of advice floating around saying you should ask, are there any concerns about my background? I think it is too soon, to be honest. It can catch a lot of people off guard. So interviewers might feel like they haven't had a chance to give this much thought. What I like to ask instead, if you really want feedback, I would rather think of it as planting the seed, right? So you want to be planting seeds that I am the right candidate for the role or that at least, you know, I want to move to the next round. So the best way to do that is to ask, what is it about my background that you're most excited about? Right. Mm. So that's a great way to give them something honest to give you feedback Mm. on, but it's positive. And I've actually seen how this opportunity has opened up conversations around next steps a lot faster. So what is it about my background Mm. you were excited about or that you are excited about? Mm, I like that one, LaShawn. Yeah, for sure. What is the main reason for people being able to get interviews but not being offered the job? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be the same exact answer for every hiring manager. It's such a nuanced process. Sometimes there's some internal things where the job requirements change, timelines change. But overall, it's because someone else is a better fit for the job. And it's a really tough pill to swallow. um, But it's really important to remind ourselves of how many amazing people there are out there and some and every time you land a job it's you know like the experience you've had of being rejected as a candidate it's it's what's happening every time you get a job every time you've been offered a job there's a number of other people that are feeling the same way so it's just important to remember that the reason why you don't get a job offer is usually because other candidates performed better in the interview and likely had a better profile for the job. Wonderful. Okay, with that, let me pass it back over to Gordon to dig a little deeper. Yeah, let's dig a little bit deeper on something that you said there, Neha, about Mm -hmm. one of the common interview questions being, tell us about yourself. What's the best way to approach answering that question? Do I just kind of spit out back my resume that you read? Or like, is there a creative way we can answer this question? Mm -hmm. 
That's a great, great question. So I think tell me about yourself is an opportunity to kind of summarize your resume. So you could also think about it as walk me through your resume or walk me through your career history. But I would add the caveat of walk me through your resume or walk me through your career history as it relates to the current job, right? So always tying it back to the current mm. job. And I would also say stick to the context as much as possible in terms of, you know, um, highlighting things on your resume that are as pertinent to the role as possible. Maybe you don't talk about everything there. Try to keep it, I would say two minutes is a good average, right? Like you want it to be at least a minute long. A minute is what I would aim for. If it happens to be two to three minutes, that's fine too. If it's more than three minutes, you're definitely talking too much. And I would also say that the tell me about yourself question, I've had some candidates, for example, ask, oh, do you want me to talk about my personal life or high school? But again, it's just reading the room and understanding that you're here for a job interview. So I want you to talk to me about yourself in relation to the job interview. All righty. So in, in general, then, how is there sort of a best way to approach preparing for a job interview? You mentioned it's incredibly important to do some research on the company you're interviewing with. Are, are there any other things besides preparing for those common interview questions that sh people should do to get that confidence to to perform in that interview? Yeah, I mean, a big part of it is that research on the company, but then also researching your own career history and taking a good doing that stock check of all your accomplishments, but also your gaps and being real about that and understanding what did you learn from those mistakes or let's say weaknesses or areas of improvement and really focusing on that piece. And another thing I would say is to practice with a friend or a mentor or a coach. I think even even if let's say no one's available, you always have yourself and your phone. You can always record yourself. You can, you know, Google some common interview questions, go to Glassdoor and see what the company is actually asking their interviewees or on Indeed. I know that they also have interview questions and mm -hmm. start practicing with yourself and think about, you know, give yourself your own score, right? Score your own interview if you don't have anyone else to practice with. And you can maybe do it in front of a mirror. And, and that also helps build some confidence. And you notice things about your body language or your eye contact that you can also improve. Any, are there any tips for structuring your answers in an interview in general? Definitely. So I always like to give the tip around structuring your interview response for behavioral interview questions. So questions that start off with tell me about a time, describe a time, or anytime you're sharing a specific example or situation, those situational interviews, uh, interview questions, you can structure them with the STAR method. So STAR stands for situation task, action, result. Oftentimes I find that people are great at talking about the situation, but they're not so great at talking about the action that they took, mm -hmm. whether it's a we thing, right? Or like an I did this or we did this. Also minding the I and we. Is it, you know, a question where I asked you what your team did or am I asking you what you specifically did? And then also you know, amplifying the result. So what was the feedback from your stakeholders? Um, what was the impact to the business or the bottom line? What are some numbers involved that you can share? So wrapping it up really nicely there because people get way too caught up in the situation. So um, situation, task, action, result, really hammering in on action and result. 
And along those same lines, uh, we get a difficult uh, situational question that we were struggling to answer or don't know the answer to. Is there a way to approach situations where we feel like we don't have a response in that moment? I think practicing the pause is a good one. It's totally okay to take a pause. It's okay to gather your thoughts. It's pretty much expected, right? So it's good to take a pause. And I would say if you have a pen and paper, you can maybe start taking some notes. I would also be mindful, you know, um, to maybe get clarity around the question. So clarifying questions are so helpful. Maybe you can say, can you rephrase that question for me? Or you can say, what I'm hearing is X, Y, Z. Is that correct? And that buys you some time, but it also allows them to clarify or expand on what they need. Awesome. And assuming that you've made it all the way through to the interview, you've answered the questions, you've done your best. Are there specific questions we should be asking the, uh, the interviewer uh, to understand things like the organization's work culture? I know there's you know, there's a bit of a taboo around asking specific questions. So how can we kind of get an answer to Mm -hmm. this indirectly? Yeah. So I think some, some hiring managers, they really feel that if a candidate shows no curiosity, that's a red flag. And then I've also worked with one hiring manager who said that she doesn't like questions at the end because she does such a thorough job of explaining everything but I personally think that I'm more in the camp of if you're not answering if you're not asking questions then you're lacking curiosity and that's a bit of a red flag so what I would say is don't ask more than like absolute max is like five questions but really just like two to three questions is all you need to show some curiosity and what I would say to that is instead of asking about the you know, company culture, ask about the team dynamics, because every team has its own way of functioning. You might not really be as part of the global culture until maybe you're six months down the road. But in the initial days, especially you, you know, your team is everything. So really understanding how you're going to work together day to day in your team dynamics is probably more valuable for you than the overall company culture, which also just feels like a stock interview question at this point. Is there a way to kind of ask a question, like if you're legitimately, you know, worried about their work culture or the potential manager's leadership style? Is there a way to, you know, figure that out during the interview? Totally. So with the leadership style one, what you could ask is, can you tell me a little bit about your leadership style? And that allows them to set expectations and to be transparent. And you're not asking, you don't need to add context of on Glassdoor, I saw X, Y, Z, (laughs) or like, you know, I had a really bad experience in my last organization. Maybe just skip the why of all of that and just ask the question plain and simple in a courteous, polite manner. So always thinking about my goal is to extract this information. How do I do that in a polite way where I'm not putting the person down or putting them in a tough spot or making them feel uncomfortable? Because it's probably not making me look like a good candidate either. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And the last question we have is sort of the last, it's literally related to the last question you would ask after an interview. I know it's, like you said, it's sort of best practice to ask some questions. It's also not good to ask questions to things that were maybe explicitly told to you during the interview. So that kind of maybe shows that you're not listening. So are there any kind of pre-planned templated type of questions that you can plan for the end of an interview? 
Yeah, I think earlier on we talked about, for example, you said or you asked, is it a good idea to ask about feedback immediately? I said that there's it's probably not a good idea, mm-hmm. but what you could do is ask, what are you most excited about um, in terms of my background? And, and like maybe what you, you know, another one that I like to ask is, can you tell me how far along you are in your process and how I might um, stack up? with some of the other candidates. So that question, I think, is like leaning towards, you know, the type of feedback that you can ask for. Like, where are you in your process? It helps you talk about the logistical things like timeline and also like it helps you gauge how excited they are about you. Um, And then another one, like I mentioned, is asking about the team dynamics. Can you tell me a little bit more about who I'll be working with and what the team dynamics are? But also, don't just use the templated questions. I think it's good to actually think about what matters to you, what's going to make you happy in a job. If it's the leadership style, then ask about that. So really just getting to know what matters to you and using it as a genuine opportunity to get curious about what's going to make you say yes to an offer or what's going to make you be happy in the long term at a job. All right. So thank you so much for that. I I particularly like that one question i'm going to use that in my next interview about why are you basically excited to to work with someone like me i'd really like that it plants like a seed yeah i am excited to work with you and then people start talking about you in the office and stuff so yeah i like that that's my takeaway thank you so much neha thank you thank you all for the questions and thank you gordon and lashan for inviting me have a great day all right stay tuned until next time everyone peace Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.